0: Our God, the true and living God, is uniquely one. The fact that in his being he is Father, Son, and Spirit does not change the fact, the reality, that God is one. The nature of God is oneness. Because God's nature is oneness, all that he does is in keeping with his nature. This principle uh, needs to deeply impress us. Anything that has its source in God will bear the characteristic of oneness, When uh, the archangel rebelled and became the enemy of God and the opponent of God, he made himself the opposite of God in so many ways. God is truth, the enemy is a lie. God is life, the enemy is the source of of death. God is light, the enemy is darkness. God is love, the enemy is hatred and enmity. God is peace, the enemy is discord. And God is oneness, the enemy in his very nature is divisive. The fact that God always acts according to his nature of oneness is seen at certain crucial points in the scriptures. When God created humankind, he created one corporate man. And in the eyes of God, this first man is called Adam, inclusive of all of us. When God temporarily set aside the created race after the uttermost fall at Babel, he acted again according to his nature of oneness and called one person Abraham to make him the father of a nation and the channel through which all the nations would be blessed this principle holds true even more in the new testament there is one body there is one new man. We have the seven ones in Ephesians 4 4 through 6. What could be more opposed on earth today to God's nature of oneness than the humanly incurable and unresolvable divisions? among humankind. Separations, enmities, strifes, misunderstandings, hatred. And the primal division is between Jew and Gentile. The Lord himself called Abraham to be the father of the called race. And the covenant he made with Abraham is irrevocable. And that covenant will be fulfilled and it will be manifested in the coming kingdom. And Israel will be restored and the Lord will set up his throne in Jerusalem. And all the nations will in fact go to Jerusalem yearly to keep the feast of tabernacles and to worship the Lord of hosts. But there is this distinction between Jew and Gentile. It's very significant. And we'll see this again, that on the cross, the Lord made the Jews and the Gentiles into one new man. Then when the baptism of the Spirit was accomplished once for all, it was accomplished in two stages. First at Pentecost, upon the Jewish believers, then in the house of Cornelius, Upon the Gentile believers. God is uniquely one. His nature is oneness. His actions are in accord with his nature. When the Lord Jesus was about to die, and he prayed a divine and mystical prayer to the Father. Concerning his glorification through death and resurrection. He prayed for oneness. His death solved eternally and radically the problem of division. And the Lord, while he was on the cross, created in himself. One new man. So making peace. I believe it will be enlightening to briefly sketch. The progress of oneness. Unfolded in the New Testament. In John 17. The Lord prayed. If any prayer ever uttered is according to God. This is that prayer. He prayed that we would be one in the Father's name where we have the divine life. That we would be one through the sanctifying word. He prayed that we would be one in the divine glory and that our oneness would match the standard of oneness Which is the oneness in the Godhead itself. The Lord prayed that we would be one. Even as he and the father are one. That is the prayer. That is the standard. And that will be achieved. Then the Lord went to the cross. And died an all inclusive death. It will be helpful to look at one aspect of this all-inclusive death through some verses in Ephesians 2. Just a few verses. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. He who has made both one. I believe... There will be a church in Jerusalem. And I believe, according to the Lord's sovereignty, in the church in Jerusalem, there will be Israelis, native-born Israelis, Jews according to the flesh. I believe there will be Gentiles of all sorts, And there will be in Jerusalem something that city has never seen, a testimony of Ephesians 2.14, he has made both one. Should we not pray for this? And he has broken down the middle wall of partition, the enmity. So in verse 4, we see through the cross, he made both one. Verse 15, abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments in ordinances. This is not the moral law. The moral law cannot be abolished. But it's the law concerning ordinances that he might create the two in himself, Into one new man, so making peace. Is this not astounding? He removed the ordinances for the purpose of creating the two. This is a new creation. He created the two in himself. Into one new man. This oneness. Is in himself. Christ is the realm of oneness. He is the oneness itself. Then verse 16. And might reconcile both. In one body. To God. Through the cross. Having slain. The enmity of. By it. Uh, throughout Europe, there surely are pockets of what we may call uh, generically evangelical believers who are faithful to the gospel insofar as they have been enlightened. These dear ones will proclaim. The death of Christ on the cross for our redemption, for the forgiveness of sins. Some might realize that we ourselves were crucified with Christ. Now, I sincerely ask, because I do not know the situation. Has Europe ever heard this gospel? In verse 17, it says, And coming, he announced peace as the gospel. In verse 14, he himself is peace. In verse 15, he made peace. In verse 17, he announced peace as the gospel. Has anyone ever traversed through the Balkans and proclaimed the Gospel of peace based upon Ephesians 2:14 through 17? Has this continent ever heard not only a teaching but a proclamation that on the cross the Christ who is peace? Has made peace. He has created one new man. He has reconciled us to God in one body. This gospel of peace should not be limited in our understanding to something individualistic. Oh, you have discord in you. You have conflict in you. Believe in the Lord and you will have peace. This peace here is a corporate matter. It is a body matter. Christ died to make peace among all the divided peoples on the earth. So that in the body of Christ, which is the new man... There will be no divisions of any kind on the basis of nationality, race, skin color, culture, social class, economic level, educational level. This is truly astounding that all the divisive factors were nailed to the cross once and for all. The gospel of peace needs to be announced. Not only peace toward God, that's the base. But we are at peace with one another in Christ. We've seen the Lord prayed for oneness. But he knew this prayer. Required the most costly action on his part. So while he was dying there for redemption, dying in our place of vicarious death, bearing the judgment for sin and sins, he was destroying the devil. He was nailing to the cross. The ordinances. And he was creating. That's what the verses say. He was creating. In himself. One new man. As if that cross. Had two great arms. Embracing the human race. Tearing down. The middle wall of partition. Slaying. The enmity. And creating in himself. One new man. When he said. And breathed his last. It is finished. This work was done. On the night. Of the day he was resurrected. He came to the disciples. And he breathed. Into them. And said receive. The Holy Pneuma. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the breath. Of the resurrected Christ. Much like the seven spirits are the eyes of the Lamb. Which, which is why we don't try to systematize. The triune God. You try to systematize the triune God. We'll sing 608. 608. I don't know if I ever enjoyed that hymn more than I enjoyed it with you this morning. The triune God has now become our all. Amen. Just incredible. So the Lord breathed himself as the Spirit, the Spirit. That breath is the Spirit mentioned in John seven thirty nine, The all-inclusive Spirit. And the Spirit himself, as the essence of the body, is the oneness. When they receive the Spirit, they receive the oneness of the Spirit, which is the Spirit himself. That is why Paul does not charge us to arrive at the oneness of the Spirit. We need to arrive at a developed oneness, but we keep the oneness of the Spirit, and that indicates we already have it. We have the oneness of the Spirit because we have the Spirit Himself as the essence of God and the essence of the body, and this Spirit. Is oneness. We all have the spirit in our spirit. We all have the oneness of the spirit. If you have the oneness of the spirit. Say amen. Amen. We all have it. I didn't know this. In August 1955. When I experienced regeneration. Regeneration. None of the ministers around me knew it. No one could help me understand I had a spirit. And that Christ as a spirit entered into my spirit. Mingled with my spirit. And that I now had the oneness of the spirit in me. But. Eventually in the Lord's mercy. I learned this. Okay. Now, the disciples, and let's consider the enlarged number, the 120, in Acts 1. They not only were keeping the oneness, they applied the oneness of the Spirit to their entire being. And that application of the oneness of the spirit to our mind, emotion and will and heart produces one accord. One accord. A harmony in our whole being. We keep the oneness by being in spirit. Not only where the oneness is, But who the oneness is. But in order to do anything, to pray, to fellowship, to serve, we have to use the faculties of our soul. You know, the soul in the Bible has three main meanings it refers to the the life, it refers to a person. And it refers to the faculties. The Lord wants us to lose the life of the soul, but never the faculties of the soul. We are being renewed in the spirit of the mind, we're being transformed in our soul. We are not spirits, we are tripartite beings. We need to think we need to understand, we need to speak, we need to fellowship, we need to discuss, we need to take action. The problem is, we have different concepts, different ideas, different value systems, different feelings, different intentions, and that cripples the action. But if we are willing to learn, as those 11 original apostles learned, to apply the oneness of the Spirit, we would touch the one accord. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, these 11 were still disputing who was first. It sounds terrible, and and it is, but at least they were forthright about it. They weren't political. They were openly engaging one another. I'm first. No, I'm first. Well, he's first. No, he's first. It's inexcusable, but at least it's not hidden. But what happened? Well... The Lord told them, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you all that he may sift you as wheat. But I have made petition on your behalf. That your faith would not fail. So the Lord had them all sifted. And he used Satan himself. Put them in a sieve. Throw them up. Shake them. Until every negative thing. Was sifted away. Now they could be fine flour. Then the spirit was added to them. Eventually poured out upon them. They had the oneness of the spirit. And they applied this oneness to their whole being. These apostles were not a homogeneous group. Consider Simon the Canaanite. I don't know too much about first century history. But the Canaanites were the most radical. Of anti-Roman nationalists. They were ready for armed revolt. So the Lord chose one of these. And put him with John. Leaning on Jesus breast. Although John. He was called a son of thunder for a reason. Then you've got. Matthew, I mean, accountants, aren't they meticulous and detailed? I mean, how can a flaming radical coordinate with a meticulous accountant? Well, the Lord had this diverse group. He crucified them all. They were all sifted. They were regenerated in his resurrection He breathed the spirit into them. That became the base of their oneness. That is why they could have the one accord. Including all all the women. And not all of them were young. There was the mother of Jesus. And their oneness was exemplified first by their capacity to pray again and again for 10 days actually we know that we can lose the accord even in praying publicly someone prays according to yourself or brother prays according to his feeling because praying will always express what we are in our being. Either positively or negatively. So they are praying there. There's no friction. There's no discord. So that is how the Lord's testimony began. The 3,000 saved on Pentecost were added into this oneness. And they were in one accord With great rejoicing. Sadly. In Satan's strategy against the church. Which is threefold mainly. The oneness was not only damaged. It was lost. And there actually are teachings and theologies. That justify divisiveness. Satan's strategy is to replace Christ with other persons or things, to bring in the clergy laity system, to nullify the function of the members of the body, and to cause divisions. Therefore, the Lord's recovery must have as a major component the recovery of the unique and genuine oneness of the body of Christ. And this brings us to the outline. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of the oneness of the body of Christ. The Lord did not actually begin at this point. In a very real sense, the progress of the Lord's recovery historically follows the sequence of revelation in the book of Romans. And the first great truth in Romans is that we are justified by grace, through faith. And the Lord began his recovery of the truth with the recovery of Romans 1.17. The righteous shall have life and live by faith. And we know so many items of truth, the line of the inner life, The burden for evangelism. Then the Lord turned a little less than a hundred years ago to recover the oneness in practice. And He did not have a way to work in the West, especially in the US. The influence of religion, of Christianity, was too strong he chose China as a virgin soil to begin to recover this then the matter was developed in Taiwan exported to the US the Lord's strategy is then to spread it to Europe ultimately to Jerusalem we need to know what we are saying when we say that we are for the Lord's recovery. We are for the recovery of the oneness of the body of Christ. Now here is a fresh definition of the oneness of the body of Christ. The oneness of the body of Christ is the triune God becoming ...our experience. There is no oneness of the body of Christ... ...apart from the experienced triune God. The Lord prayed that we would be... He he prayed that they may be one in us. This us is the triune God... We need to be out of the world, out of Adam, the old man. And we are in this us. And this us, God in Christ as the Spirit, is in us. And the more we experience the triune God, the more we know and are living in the oneness of the body of Christ. Amen. And through the years, the ministry has defined oneness as distinct from unity. Unity means you have many separate persons or entities. And somehow they are brought into some form of unification. You begin with many, like many pieces of a puzzle, and then make them one. But oneness begins with a divine reality of oneness. And the Lord is recovering not the unity of the believers... Not the unity of the body, but the oneness of the body. The body can exist and survive only in oneness. Are we in the Lord's recovery? Intrinsically. There is a person who was in the Lord's recovery in some outward way for more than 30 years. He was even made an elder in a church. And four years ago, he stood with those that were quarantined, has become an active opposer, not only of the blended brothers, but of Brother Lee's ministry in point after point. And recently, I say this carefully, he has aligned himself with extreme critics who believe we are all going to hell. That we are not Christians. We are not regenerated. We have a false gospel. And they told some brothers directly, you are marching directly to hell. And now this one, this one that was in the recovery, who became, who was eaten up by his peculiarity, now supports this. I'm not attributing to him yet this extreme statement, but he 's standing with one openly online before the whole the whole world. We commend you in this work very good work. What is my point here? My point is to show someone may spend decades out, outwardly in the sphere of the churches, but never. Touch the recovery intrinsically. Was never in the recovery. One message. Released during the. Elder's training in Busan. Was on knowing the Lord's recovery in life. Another on knowing the Lord's recovery in truth. And these were not messages saying. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of life. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of truth. The messages are saying. You need to know in life. Which is the triune God. What the recovery is. You need to know in truth. Which is the spirit shining. On the teachings of the scriptures. What the recovery is. It will not help us to turn inward and to analyze ourselves. That will never yield any genuine light. But we need to open to the Lord and to seek the Lord and pray. Lord, am I in the recovery intrinsically? What do I think the Lord's recovery is? The recovery of a certain practice. Well, the Lord's recovery has the practice of PSRP, and I really appreciate this as we should. So I'm in the Lord's recovery. Or I really appreciate pray reading. The Lord's recovery is not a recovery. Of practices. There's something intrinsic. To the nature of the Lord's recovery. And we're emphasizing this one aspect. It is the recovery. Of the oneness. Of the body of Christ. Which we have defined. As the experience. Of the triune God. The ground of oneness. Intrinsically. Is the. Processed and consummated triune God. Applied to our being. And in brief. The oneness of the spirit is this. The spirit includes the entire triune God. Applied to our being. That is oneness. We need to keep this oneness. We need to apply this oneness. Oneness. As we are praying and fellowshipping together, so we arrive at the one accord. Acts 15 is very interesting. There was a serious dispute there related to the truth of the gospel. And the one presiding over that meeting was the Lord's Spirit, and all the brothers had the liberty to share forth rightly. What their view was. Some said they have to be circumcised. They have to keep the law of Moses. Then Peter shared something. And Paul shared something. But at the end. When they wrote the letter. To the Gentile churches. They could say it seemed good. To the Holy Spirit and to us. Having arrived at one accord. Often this is our situation. We're not like fighting. We're not in enmity. We have different views. How can we not? We have different feelings. How can we not? It's part of our humanity. But we all have one goal. That is the growth and building up of the body of Christ. We like to do everything in the one accord... And one accord is not achieved cheaply by having a strong man impose his will on us all. That is a totalitarian oneness. And I don't know European history. I don't think it ultimately worked in Poland. I didn't think it really worked in what was the Czech Republic. Maybe the Prague Spring of 1968 was put down by tanks. But fast forward 21 years. Where is the Soviet Union? Where is the totalitarian system? So we will never take this way. Of a strong man. Squelching. All expression of opinion and feeling. And agreeing with him. That is one accord. No. We all go through a process. Of applying the oneness of the spirit. To our mind, emotion, and will. To our whole soul. to our whole heart. So that we arrive at a blessed one accord. In which we all think the same thing. Feel the same thing. Have the same motive. We're one in our soul. We're one in our heart. And we speak the same thing. Amen. Europe needs to see this. Okay. The genuine oneness of the body. Is the process and consummated triune God. Who mingles himself with the believers. The organic oneness of the body of Christ. Is the oneness of the spirit. The keeping of the oneness. Is the primary virtue. Of our Christian walk. And let's remind ourselves. Of how Paul. Paul. Approaches this. I beseech you, therefore, to walk worthily of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and meekness. Why does he say all? Is there more than one kind? There must be, with long suffering, bearing one another in love. Notice this comes before being diligent to keep the oneness of the spirit in the uniting bond of peace. And it indicates it is our person. It is our being. That's the problem. And we need the humanity of Jesus really worked into us. So that we have all loneliness. Only the lowly. Can keep the oneness. Before the sifting of the disciples. Peter separated himself. From the rest. He said they will all forsake you. They're wimps. They're cowards. I will follow you to prison. And to death. Then they all failed. And the Lord came to Peter. In John 21. And he asked him a question which we may not understand. He said Simon. Son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these? We may think the Lord is asking. Do you love me more? More than you love these? That's not the question. He's asking Do you love me more than these love me? Will you distinguish yourself? Will you elevate yourself? Are you more absolute? Are you more loving? Are you ready to follow me to death but not them? You are the hero. Lord, you know that I love you. What I'll say next is really not. It's not a teaching. But it is an observation. Only failures. Are humble enough. To keep the oneness. That through their failures. They're just reduced. Reduced. And they all failed. I tell the trainees the Lord set up a final exam that no one could pass. That was his ultimate training. They all thought they would be heroes. They all were zeros, not heroes. But because they had become nothing, with no one saying, oh, I'm first, no one can lift his head anymore. There's no rivalry anymore. You have loneliness, and even eventually with Peter, you have meekness. I don't know how long it took him, but when he died a death of martyrdom, he stretched out his hands. No more less than expert swordsmanship, cutting off ears, no more resistance. With long-suffering. And notice it doesn't say bearing with one another in love. That's actually kind of demeaning if I say, I bear with you. That's just, oh, that means, you know, you're a project, you're a case. Uh, but to bear one another in love. This is part of keeping the oneness of the spirit. Because if we are proud. If we are combative. If we have no capacity to suffer long. If we don't bear others. And you can't just bear them. In love. And love is the nature of God's essence. Love is the inner substance of God. So we're bearing one another in love. Then we, are, we may be diligent to keep the oneness of the spirit. In the uniting bond of peace. And to anticipate that uniting bond of peace is a reference we believe. To the bars on the tabernacle. That cross all the standing boards to join them together. So, this is part of living in the body life. No proud person can live the body life. I will not say, I have no standing to say, only the Lord could say, that a great, no great preacher, successful minister, big Christian worker... Will come into the church life and remain. But I know this if such a person is to come in, he must be reduced to nothing. They don't come in as the man we've been waiting for. Like one person said, we are the ones we have been waiting for. No. Saul of Tarsus was his genius. Powerful character. The Lord had to reduce him. To nothing. But the arrogant. The proud. The self-confident. They break the oneness. Right and left. Just by their being. But we can't feign. Lowliness and meekness for long. Or long suffering for long. The Lord has to just bring one particular kind of person into your life. And you really are not happy with that person. Because that person exposes your inability. And to bear one another in love. The day we go on. So, so this is the primary virtue of our Christian walk. You may say, well, I don't keep the oneness, but I'm really zealous for the gospel. That does not justify your lack of the primary virtue. The oneness of the Spirit must be kept diligently by all the believers in Christ with the transformed human virtues strengthened and enriched by and with the divine attributes. That's what we've been covering a little The oneness of the Spirit is the Spirit Himself who is in our Spirit. So the oneness is a person, it's not a thing. And this person is living and moving. If we act apart from the Spirit, we are divisive and lose the oneness. I don't think I'm unique in this. I like to ask the brothers who've been married for quite a long time Have you ever gotten into a situation with your dear wife simply by uttering one sentence? Maybe even less than a sentence. Well, this is a very good discipline for us to teach us any act apart from the spirit is divisive it's apart from the spirit now there's no spirit yesterday there was spirit now there's you with no spirit so you have lost the oneness temporarily The oneness is the spirit. It's not our being agreeable. It's not our smiling. As if we're wearing a mask. It is the spirit himself. If we stay in the life giving spirit. We keep the oneness of the spirit. You know one of the enemy's goals with all of us. Is to draw us out of the spirit. Uh, Wonder Brother suggested, because I expressed the hope to be able to see Germany sometime, uh, to have someone drive, drive you. Well, my point is, I don't think I would do too well uh, driving in Germany uh, on the Autobahn Unless maybe, maybe just stay, just stay far to the right. Don't hinder anybody. But haven't you been enjoying the Lord while you're driving? Then another driver does something and then zip, you're out of the spirit. I mean, really out. (laughs) Not just a little bit out. I mean, you're out physically and there's a physical reaction and you... You make noise and you flick lights and you say things in an instant. And so it's quite an exercise to stay in the Spirit. It can be so familiar to us that it's trivial but we need to turn to the spirit and we need to exercise the spirit one of the great recoveries on the side of spiritual practice among us is the exercise of the spirit some of us still are too passive. We wait for a feeling. We wait for a mood shift. We wait for the tide to change with a big wave that we can kind of ride in. But actually, no matter how we feel, no matter how my body is, what time zone it thinks it's in, I get up now early in the morning. I need to begin the same way. Turn my heart to the Lord. And turn to the Spirit. Exercise the Spirit. If we stay in the life-giving Spirit, we keep the oneness. So to be diligent to keep the oneness... Is to be diligent to stay in the spirit. So how, how are we doing in our married life? Do you think married life with all that it involves gives us an excuse? Lord, I know now you are coming to me to evaluate my living I would like to point out to you that I had a very difficult wife. Well, let me pause here to tell you something I think you'll enjoy. Uh, One day I saw on my wife's desk a used book that she had ordered. You know what the title was? How to live with a difficult man? <laughs> and when when I when I saw that you know my first reaction was I always thought you were the difficult one. <laughs> and then this dear wife she asked me to please buy a book for her. And the book was the biography of the married life of Jonathan Edwards, this famous preacher of the 18th century. And I said, surely I will do it. What is the title? Here is the title. Married to a Difficult Man. So from the right and from the left the the arrows come there's no excuse we need to realize there is no excuse for not being in spirit no excuse Lord I don't feel well I I sympathize humanly and in Christ With any of us that has any affliction. But strangely. Often the self can come out very strong. When we're not well. And we pity ourselves. And we believe we're entitled to all kinds of this and that. Brother Nee even gave a message. On losing the soul life. Specifically for those that are frequently ill. There is no excuse. Amen. It's an apostolic command. Not Dr. Phil's advice. <laughs> Walk according to spirit. Amen. And we need, we need to do this for the body's sake. Amen. Now we come to the other half of the message, which won't take nearly as long as this half and it might seem that we're ending this conference in a kind of in a minor key but actually if we see the light here we will have a wonderful way to advance Amen. and we will have a different view of the genuine experience of the cross And we will begin to touch one particular element in the Kampan ointment. That's the myrrh. The sweetness. The sweetness. The Lord drank the bitter cup. A.B. Simpson was really right. And he wrote from his experience... Oh, it is so sweet to die with Christ. Amen. But I anticipate the body is versus the self. The enemy of the body is the self. Before I read further, I need to try to, to help with the matter. There is a difference between self-realization, that is you realize something just by your own mind. There's a difference between that and the enlightenment of the spirit. For example, I may speak for 15 minutes on being independent, on independence and individualism. And you are a very agreeable person, and you're open, and you hear all this speaking, and then you say to yourself, "Oh, oh, that, that's right. I'm just so independent, and I'm so individualistic." But you have no light. This is a self-realization. In other words, you di- you can understand the thoughts, you understand the words, the ideas. And you are agreeable, you're not dissenting. Well, it's one thing to just agree, even honestly, with the speaking concerning the self being the enemy of the body. But it's a very different thing. To have what Brother Lee calls the vision of the self. In Matthew 16... The self in Peter was grossly manifested. So the Lord said, Satan, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Your mind... Peter, your mind is set on the things of men. Then he went on to speak of denying the self and losing the soul life. So you have Satan, the mind, the self, and the soul life. There is a flash of light here. Bright laser beams. Here is the self. Emerging in the one who just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he now takes him aside and is rebuking him, the Son of the living God. That's how daring, how audacious the self can be. Peter is completely blind. But for our perfecting, this is recorded. The Lord addressed Satan coming out through Peter's mind, which is set on the things of man. When we have a flash like this, we know what the self is. This is not simply our agreeing with some speaking because we're positive and open. I now see, I have this, even I am this. And this Satan may come out. And sorry to say, especially in the years of dealing, in family life, it did come out. I'm no better and I'm no different. But when we have a vision of it. Now we know it. And we know how lethal it is. How destructive it is. How it opposes the very thing we have given ourselves to the Lord for. In his recovery. The building up of the body of Christ. The enemy dreads this exposure. Because if the self is exposed. Then we who are receiving the Lord's mercy. And love him because he loved us. Our reaction is to deny this. Lord I didn't know I had this. I didn't know I could be this. Thank you Lord. For exposing this. Now Lord and we'll see this in some practical detail. In a few minutes. I know how to deal with this. It's like I had a terrible disease. That I didn't know I had. There are no symptoms that I can detect. And if this this disease can run its course. It will not only kill me. It will just utterly dehumanize me. In the process of deterioration. Isn't it a mercy to realize you have this. You have this. And then to realize there is an absolute remedy for this. There is treatment for this. Left alone or left to your effort to suppress it, to improve it, to reshape it. There's no hope. But there is a means that is absolutely invincible to deal with this. And when you apply this means on the negative side the self is crucified the spirit flows in purity and you taste the sweetness Of Christ's death. And you become. A person. Of sweetness. In Christ. So in faithfulness. We have to expose. The enemy. He does not want this. But we are standing in the body. We are under the one Lord. With his authority. And we agree. Not to spare. The enemy of the body. Of Christ. The body is versus the self. The enemy of the body is the self. The self is the soul. Being independent of God. The self is the independent I. The self is the soul. Plus the satanic mind. The satanic thought. That's Matthew 16. Imagine if the Lord had not gone to the cross, if he had pitied himself, where would we be? Where would we be? That is a satanic thought. Thus, the self is the embodiment of Satan. When I first heard this, a brother was just fellowshipping this with me. I just found this incredible. How can you say this? That was due to my ignorance. Now I know to some extent. It's the embodiment of Satan. What we are really dealing with. And the unreasonable opposers. We are dealing. With the satanic mind. Expressed in strong. Selves. It takes a lot of learning. To wield the spiritual weapons that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 10 that are powerful for tearing down strongholds. Pulling down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought. And... uh, I'm here in Europe, I would say the same thing, and have in any other place. You need to realize, the self here is very strong. In every country, there's a particular caste or development. My ancestors, at least on one side, are Finns. And the Finns, you know, are so close to Russia... And they had many wars with Russia and due to the superior numbers on the Russian side, they would always lose. And in the famous Winter War, the Finns donned their white suits as in the winter. Got on their cross-country skis to resist the Russians. But even when they were defeated, they would boast and they still boast in something called Sisu. Sisu. Hard to define. It's in, it, it is strength, it is endurance, it is intestinal fortitude, it is the refusal to give in, it is toughness, all combined with a kind of peculiar sense of humor about it. And so, now the real fins, if there are any here, and I'm misrepresenting the background, then you can correct me. There is no sisu in the God man living. We don't exercise sisu to keep the oneness of the Spirit. Okay, now you're you're fellowshipping with Russians, your perpetual adversaries, you don't need sisu. I must admit I have somewhere in my office a mug in blue and white. With the words Sisu on it. Maybe I should dispose of that. I don't know. But in situation after situation, you have a strong self. You don't think the German soul is powerful? Oh, the Russian character? The French? You know, there are really no atheists in France. They all have a God. They worship French. (laughs) The most beautiful language. And so... This is the zone of the uttermost challenge. Much more challenging than the U.S., which is supposedly a melting pot... I know there's a pot, but I don't know what's melting in the pot. And if we are to actually live in the recovery of the oneness, the powerful soul that has been built up in us of necessity. I told the brothers in Russia, you've had a hard life. Before the collapse of the Soviet Union. To survive in this system. You had to be strong. Now all of that strength. Is the enemy of the body of Christ. And it gives Satan the ground to come in. And render brothers unable. To accommodate It makes them inflexible, intolerable, unrelenting. And they think they're standing for integrity. It's altogether this self. And actually, any believer, even our most fierce opposers, I know that if the self in them were exposed, they would prostrate themselves and cry to the Lord for mercy. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. You tell them you have the mind of Satan, they'll be ready to punch your teeth out. (laughs) So unless you've got a strong left, you better not say stuff like that. (laughs) The hindrance to seeing the vision of the body and to practicing the body is the self. The self eclipses The vision. It's just there. Obscuring everything. And it's the hindrance to practicing. When we have the self. We do not have the body. When we have the body. We do not have the self. I don't know when the time will be. In your own personal life with the Lord. But the time will come when this will be the issue. And the Lord will want you to resolve this in principle. In other words, you see something of the body, of the four in one organic entity, fulfilling God's purpose to express Him and deal with the enemy. And now you have some light not just concepts, on the self, and you realize the body and the self are incompatible. They cannot coexist. Whenever we have the self, at that moment, the body is not a reality to us. It's not. It's a reality. It's not a reality to us. When we have the body, we do not have the self. So actually our aim should be positive. To have the body, to experience the Lord for the body. But what we need to realize is that as we pursue this glorious objective, the Lord will need to come in to show us The self, which can undermine everything. Now we come to the vision of the cross and understanding the significance of the cross. And I'll save just the reading of the points to the very end in about 10 minutes. I'd rather speak freely in spirit. To present the full view. We pointed out yesterday. God's way to solve all problems. Human supernatural. Is the cross. So we need to allow the truth. Of the cross. To be unfolded before our eyes. Stage by stage. First. The Lord Jesus really did die an all-inclusive death. There is a wonderful chapter in the book, The Economy of God, entitled The Principle of the Cross. And Brother Lee assembles there all the key verses to show us the inclusiveness Of the cross of Christ. But in the sight of God. Everything contrary to God. And to God's economy. The enemy. Sin. The world. The self. The old creation. The ordinances. The evil spirits. Has been dealt with. Decisively. Once for all. Experience is always based on truth. We need to see this. Then we need to see that something very particular involving us was included in this all-inclusive death. And that particular thing is mentioned In Romans 6, 6, our old man was crucified with him. The old man is the totality of our fallen being. And the name of that old man, given in Galatians 2, 20, is I, I, I. We need to see the truth under the shining of light that when the Lord Jesus died our old man was crucified with him. Now our mind will object how can that happen? I was not born until the 20th century 1900 plus years later that's human think. God can say in Revelation 13, 7, the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Not before, but from. So it is a fact. The Lord's death, once for all, dealt with every negative thing. And our old man was crucified. Now how do we bridge that event Almost 2,000 years ago. And our present situation. Okay, the bridge is the spirit. Hebrews 9.14 tells us. That the Lord offered himself to God. Through the eternal spirit. Not just through the spirit. The eternal spirit. Which will now preserve and contain and apply the eternal efficacy of the death of Christ. Now we're staying still with the matter of the spirit. Based upon Exodus 30. With the type of the compound ointment. We can see that the spirit today is the all inclusive compound spirit it is the spirit of jesus the spirit of christ and the spirit of jesus christ and one of the elements in the compound ointment was myrrh and cinnamon signifying respectively the sweetness And the effectiveness of Christ's death. There is a fragrance to Christ's death. That's now in the spirit. And there is the effectiveness which is now in the spirit. The spirit through whom Christ offered himself to God. The eternal spirit is now the compound spirit. Containing the effectiveness of Christ's death. Okay, now here we are. I am in this situation. And my being under the Lord's light tells me I'm in myself. I'm in myself. This is the self. Sometimes it's almost visceral. It's just, you just know Okay, now I I will admit, this is the self. If I have been enlightened concerning the self, I will deny it. That means, no, I'm not going to be in the self. I love my wife. I will not be in myself with her. I will not torment her in this way. I will not give Satan ground in our marriage. So I'm not trying to suppress the self. I'm saying no. Then the Lord said, take up the cross. Okay, what does that mean? That means... I apply to this self... Which I am denying... The effectiveness of the crucifixion of Christ... Which effectiveness is in the Spirit? How do I do this? Oh, Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Contact the Lord. When you contact the Lord, the Spirit will flow. You don't have to give the Lord a speech. Lord, I'm in the self. I know that you crucified my old man. No, 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 no. I don't have to tell the pharmacist and the doctor. Uh, I, I studied this online. I know the components. I realize that this medicine, blah, blah, blah. Just take it. <laughs> Be quiet. Just take it. Yeah. So I'm not trying to kill myself. Yeah. I'm not trying to suppress myself. Yeah. I call on the Lord. Yeah. He knows What's going on in me. He knows what I want. He knows that I'm standing against the self. I call on him. And I take the cross. By contacting the Lord's spirit. Who contains the effectiveness of Christ's death. Then the spirit flows. And goes exactly. To this aspect of the self. And it's killed. Then the Lord said follow me. Then we follow him. In the mingled spirit. Now a simple testimony. I first heard of the compound spirit. In 1969. And shortly thereafter. I experienced something that I didn't like. There was a brother and I in the church. I thought that we were peers. But the elders asked him to do something in a certain way. And I thought it was okay if. For them to ask him. long as you would ask me too. But they bypassed me. They didn't consider me. They asked him. And I was jealous. I can't remember ever being jealous like that. But I had to be honest with myself. I'm jealous. And I'm jealous of brother so and so. And I'm jealous of brother so and so. Because. So here I am, Ron the Jealous. (laughs) Then I believed the Lord was interceding. The Lord was shepherding. And then I said to the Lord, and I admit, you know, I was just learning this, so it's secondhand. I said, Brother Lee taught us that the effectiveness of your death is in the compound spirit. So I want to prove this. Lord, right now, I apply the effectiveness of your death in the compound spirit to my jealousy. And instantly, the jealousy was killed. This is the cross. It's not mainly for suffering. It's for terminating. And it's so sweet. The fragrance. The myrrh. Lord the enemy has been lying to me. Instilling all kinds of morbid fear of the cross. He's the one who's afraid. He should be afraid. And he knows that if a group of seekers in Europe. Are willing to have this aspect in their experience. The archenemy of the body will be killed. Amen. He'll have no way to nullify this. Amen. And we will live in resurrection. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what I presented is really a kind of crystallization of the experience of the cross. We begin objectively. Christ died in all-inclusive death, solving all problems. Our old man was included. I was crucified. We all died at the same time. Our old man was crucified with him. Because the Lord offered himself to God through the spirit. The eternal spirit. There is now a link. Between that event. And our present experience. We need to see that the spirit. Is the compound spirit containing the effectiveness of Christ's death? That is the medicine. But we will not apply the medicine if we are not thoroughly convinced that we have an ailment, that we have a very aggressive factor in our being that's savage, that's satanic. We have to know this. Then the combination. Of seeing the vision of the medicine. And seeing the horror of the enemy. Will motivate us spontaneously. Okay now. Here I am. I've been enjoying the Lord. Now something happened. I'm bothered. I'm in myself. I recognize where I am. And I say no Lord. I will not be here. I will not be a roommate with Satan. I will not be in his kind of group I say no Amen. and I will apply the cross how? not by trying to beat myself but by contacting the Lord's spirit Amen. simply calling on him Amen. when Peter was sinking he didn't say oh Lord you tread upon the waves you are omnipotent you have the power to do this he said save me Lord I'm drowning Amen. Lord Jesus. Amen. The spirit flows. The spirit knows where to go. The spirit applies the effectiveness of Christ's death. And instead of the self. You have sweetness. You have the sweet flow of life. You have the oneness and the one accord. You have the presence of the Lord. You have the reality of the body of Christ. And you have the joy of knowing You gave the devil a punch in the mouth. That's always kind of exhilarating as a byproduct. To know Satan you lose. It's sweet. My brothers and sisters. It's sweet. The cross is the center of God's government. And his way to accomplish his economy. We address this in message two. In the New Testament. The primary meaning of the cross. Is not to suffer. But to be terminated. The self is willing to suffer. As long as it isn't killed. And suffering. May. Strengthen the self. If you suffer in yourself. You will make yourself tougher. Stronger. May be eventually invincible. This was Job's situation. Eventually no one could touch him. His friends ceased to answer him. Only God can come in. We will be in the fellowship of the Lord's sufferings. That's his sufferings. For life to be released into the body. The cross is for termination. Brother Lee's him. if we take up the cross, will we but suffer pain? No, if we bear the cross, be sure that we will die. If we have the vision, this is good news. I've got a way to deal with the adversary in my being. And that is the cross of Christ in the life-giving spirit. In order to progress spiritually and have the proper church life, we need to experience the cross. We may move swiftly through the first two stages of the experience of life. So many of my generation, the vast majority, are in one of two conditions. Most are gone, they have fallen away. And most of those who remain, Have been shipwrecked, stranded for decades because they didn't enter properly into the third stage of the experience of life to deal with the flesh, the self, and the natural life. And concerning that, many of us bear a very heavy responsibility in not shepherding the saints one on one in love to help them. To encourage them to go through this third stage. I know elders. I know workers. They're good persons. They're dutiful. They do holy word for morning revival in a certain way. They attend conferences and trainings. But they haven't grown for decades. And this is the intrinsic reason. That. That. All the dealings are outward. You have a very good conscience. In an ethical sense. You don't love the world. You don't live in sin. But. The flesh. The self. The natural constitution. It will come down to this. That's why I believe it's good to end here. If the Lord is to gain. Europe. In the way of manifesting the body of Christ. In dear little local churches all over the place. He has to have a way through our being. The reality of the body is in our spirit. The consciousness of the body is in our spirit. But our spirit is surrounded by the soul with the self and the natural life. Those who really know the body, Brother Nee... Brother Lee and others. They are those who have experienced the cross. Killing the enemy of the body within them. And bringing them into such a sweet endearing life of fellowship. With the Lord within the veil. The cross leads us to the body. Consummates with the body. And operates within the sphere of the body. The body of Christ is the realm within which the cross works. All of God's dealings with us. Have been with a view to prepare us for the body. Would you consider this? All of the Lord's dealings with you. Through your whole life. Until right now. Have been to prepare you. For the body life. That's his goal in all of us. No matter how different our paths have been. No matter where we were born. What our family life was like. What our marriage life was like. What kind of personal failures we had. What kind of circumstances we lived in. What kind of lessons we had to learn. God has one goal. And he's bringing us all to the body. All of his work in us. Is a process of elimination. So so that we can become functioning members. Of the body of Christ. As this process of elimination advances. Do you know what we do? And I'm really happy to end like this. You know what we do? We sing. The triune God. Has now become our all. How wonderful. How glorious. This gift divine we never can exhaust. How excellent. How marvelous. So the result is... The triune God is everything to us... In the reality of the body of Christ. Isn't this what we all want? So consider the cross dealing with the self... And our exercise to keep the oneness... In the light of this vision, we are treading a pathway that will cause all of us to be immersed in the process and consummated triune God in the body of Christ. In which reality we will live the rest of our days. Then we will enjoy the manifestation of the new Jerusalem in the coming kingdom and be the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity, where the triune God will be our all forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Time for prophesying.